Father, you have always had a remnant of believers and you always will. The Bible shows us this. Even in Revelation, there is always going to be a remnant, even during the tribulation. So we just thank you for that ahead of time, Lord. So this morning, Father, as we look at just a few verses in Acts chapter 8, I pray for the gift of teaching and that we would live our lives soberly, evaluating the days we're in, being ready to give every person an answer for the living hope that we have, that Jesus is coming back. We thank you for this time, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 8. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen, or Stephen, to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. In Acts chapter 6, it brought false accusations against Stephen, one of the first deacons of the Christian church, Acts chapter 6. And he was brought before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7 on false charges. And we learn that instead of defending himself, he gave a partial history lesson of the Jewish faith. He spoke of Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David and Solomon, creating a pattern for the Sanhedrin between the flesh and the spirit. And we still see that today in our lives, the flesh and the spirit. This pattern was inescapable by this body of religious authorities, and Stephen proved that Jesus was indeed the long-awaited-for Messiah, the Christ whom they crucified. And what's very interesting is he drew that conclusion from the Old Testament, which was more than sufficient. You see, it was a classic example of a foundational teaching and one that was given by a biblically solid deacon not an apostle. So Stephen became the first Christian martyr, and as we will see in our study today, was the first of many Christians to be persecuted and or martyred. Back to verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. Remember in chapter 7, they were laying the clothes at at their cloaks at the feet of Saul. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, There was only one church, there was not various churches, which was at Jerusalem. Again, notice that, Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital of Israel then, it is the capital of Israel today, it will remain the capital of Israel. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Again, we are first introduced to this man named Saul at the end of chapter 7. He shows up on the scene as a young man of authority. And those who were going to stone Stephen were laying their garments at his feet, which was symbolic, which was symbolic of protection from the religious authorities for the death of Stephen. Because they were not allowed to do that according to Roman law. Who was this Saul that had this much authority? Well, the scriptures give us a detailed information about this man from the man himself. In just a few chapters, we're going to see a tremendous transformation in the life of Saul. He's going to become a Christian, and his name will be changed to Paul. 
But let's look at Saul, this man Saul, prior to his conversion, so that we might get a little better insight into this highly respected religious Jew of that day. Acts 22.3 says, I am indeed a Jew, and this is Paul speaking, born in Tarsus of Cilicia. So now we know where he was born. This is very important because this is going to play into our studies further down the road. But brought up at this in this city, what city? Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous, and was zealous towards God as you are today. In other words, in his mind, he loved God, and he wanted to fulfill the word of God. Very important. Remember that we've talked about Gamaliel in previous studies. This was the ultimate teacher to be trained under. He was top-notch. He was rabbi of the rabbis. And he poured himself into this student who was named Saul, according to tradition. Gamaliel had only one complaint against Saul. He had a hard time finding enough reading and studying material to keep him focused. Again, insight into this guy. We need this insight. Saul mentally consumed anything and everything that was brought before him. How about Philippians 3, 5? Let's learn some more about Saul. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Acts 26, my manner of life from my youth, from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. So he was with Gamaliel from a very young age. We don't know exactly how young. Maybe 12, maybe around the time of Bar Mitzvah. Don't know exactly. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So now we know, we learn that Saul was a Pharisee. Galatians 1.14 says, And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. So in his studies, he is sharing, I, I just excelled. He's not boasting, he's just sharing his testimony. All of us in this room have a testimony. And you know what? You're still building your testimony. No matter how old you are, you are still building your testimony. Do people know you're a Christian? Do people see the grace of God on you, coming out of your voice? You and I, we are still building our testimony until we take our last breath. And hopefully the loved ones that come around us when we are getting ready to cross over, they're going to listen to that testimony. I've been with various family members, not my family members, but family members. I've been with various people and their family members. And let me tell you, it doesn't matter where those family members are from or what background they have, atheist or not, because I've seen it all. They are all very attentive in those final days. They'll be sitting on the bed. They'll be laying on the bed. They'll be kneeling next to the bed and they'll be listening very attentively to anything that anything that is said. They want to grasp those those last 
what we would call nuggets. Many of them have no idea, but they are nuggets, guys. So you and I, we have to remember this. We are building our testimony until the day we take our last breath. Being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So Saul was a Pharisee and with his credentials, probably one of those 70 scholars who made up the Sanhedrin. He may have been a part of the council who condemned Jesus. If you think about that, you think about the timing and and what he has shared from just a few scriptures, and we'll get into more, but just with these few scriptures, he most likely was a part of the Sanhedrin. One of those seven, 70. Now to become a Pharisee, you had to at least be 40 years of age. So we know that he was at least 40 years uh, tradition holds in this phrase, a young man. A young man traditionally was from 18 to 40 years of age, traditionally. So you had to be a Pharisee, you had to at least be 40 years. So he's probably in his early 40s. How old was Jesus when he died? 33 years old. So he could have been within 10 years of Jesus. Could he have been in that night when they brought Jesus at night and accused him at night, that, that fake trial? Could he have been there? Absolutely, he could have been there. Don't know for certain, but he very well could have been there. You see, all of this gives us some very good insight. Well, let me rephrase this. Let's put up this slide. It was also required that you were married or either had or were in the process of raising children. Again, there were no single Pharisees, no single Sadducees. This would allow you to pass on the tradition of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. This now gives us some good insight into the various scriptures about being single as well as being married that were written years later by this same man, Saul. So Saul, being a Pharisee, thought he was righteous. How righteous? Well, Philippians 3, 6 says this, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness of the law. Now, most of us probably know the Ten Commandments, but... There's actually 613 commandments in the law, 613. And that's why they asked Jesus, which are the greatest commandments? Out of the 613, which are the greatest? And what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, Jesus said, all the law hinges on those two commandments. You do those two, you're going to be fine. Not for Saul. No, no, I, I meet all 613. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. The word blameless there means what? In the Greek, free from fault or defect. You think this guy thought he was the center of the universe? He's just sharing his testimony. This is who he was before he became a believer. He had the law down. He had religion down. He had Judaism down. He wasn't afraid when they were casting their cloaks at his feet. He wasn't afraid. Kill him. Kill him. He's speaking blasphemy. He just said that Jesus is the Christ. And he's standing at the right hand of God and Father. Kill him. What does he know about Judaism? Jesus was a false Messiah. He was also a natural-born Roman citizen, which at that time was a tremendous privilege. Acts 22, which again, we'll eventually get to these in detail, but for this morning... The commander answered Paul, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. So this commander was not a Roman. He paid to become a Roman citizen. And Paul said, 
but I was born a citizen. So he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and he was a natural-born Roman citizen as well. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. That is a federal offense to bind a Roman citizen with no trial, with the accusers not coming forth. And the commander could have lost his job and possibly have been executed by that simple thing right there. So when we put all these things together, we have a man who obviously thought that he was representing God and doing the will of God. He most likely was a predominant figure in the social circles. Just think about everything I just shared with you from the scriptures. And his status as a religious person was unquestionable. Nobody would have ever questioned, is is that guy, is, is he really a Jew? Does he really practice Judaism? Nobody would have ever questioned that. Some people might question us, are you really a Christian? Do you really practice Christianity? Your actions show quite differently. That was Saul. That was Saul. Nobody would have questioned that. He made sure of that. He had such a high regard for himself that he thought it was his own personal responsibility, personal responsibility, to persecute the Christian church, to wipe it out, to eradicate it, which is in verse 3. Saul will make it a goal to stamp out this new sect of religious believers who would soon be identified by the term Christian. So, we see that there was a great persecution that arose after the death of Stephen. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church. The main thrust or character of this persecution was Saul. God saw something in this religious fanatic that no one else saw. Do you think Christian Saul saw Saul as a wannabe Christian? No. No, they knew this guy was after their heads. Do you think they were praying for his salvation? I don't know, but I hope so. I bet they were. A determined will to accomplish the ways of God. You see, God sees things differently than you and I do. Let's look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 2 through 4. Because God sees you a certain way. And unfortunately, if you're into my face or Facebook or any of this other social media stuff, people try to put you into a box And they try to present you a certain way. And they try to present themselves a certain way. Their best look, so to speak. That's also fake. It's called, it should be called fake book. Romans 10, 2 through 4 says, For I bear them witness, Paul writing, that they have a zeal for God. Now hopefully as we read this verse, and maybe you've read this verse for decades, now maybe it'll make a little more sense to you. Because we've just read about a Jew who had tremendous zeal for God. And in in his mind, it was proper zeal. I'm a Jew. And these Christians are trying to change the law. And and they're saying they don't need to come to the temple anymore. Because God doesn't reside in temples. God resides in them. we got to wipe this out. This is Saul. This is who he is. 
He's making this proclamation. But not according to knowledge. Notice that. So Paul is even able to look back at his own life, his own testimony, and say, you know what? I had a zeal for God. But not according to knowledge. I thought I was really smart. But I wasn't. What does he go on to say? For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, what was Saul ignorant of? God's righteousness. And seeking to establish their own righteousness, what had Saul done for the last 40 years of his life? To establish his own righteousness. I'm right. Have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Paul's looking back and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is acknowledging his own sin. That I was a sinner trying to get to heaven by obeying the law and I was still a sinner destined for hell. Because I was not looking for the righteousness of God. For Christ, so Jesus, is the end of the law for righteousness. Here's a Pharisee who knew the first five books of the Bible were perfect. And what is he saying? Jesus is the end of the law. We don't need the law anymore. That's blasphemous. Well, if you love God and you love your neighbor, do you need a law? No. Because you're loving God and you're loving your neighbor. Now, you're going to make mistakes in that process, but you're going to be humble enough to ask for forgiveness, to repent, to go and try to restore, make reconciliation, do all of those things, which is going to prove what? That you love God and you love your neighbor. So why do I need a law? So Paul here makes a tremendous discovery in his own life. For Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You see, as he was inspired to write this, I'm sure that he was looking back upon his own youthful desire for God. And as we've already read, he had a tremendous zeal for God, but he lacked the knowledge of Jesus being the Messiah or Christ. It is still the same today. As there are many who have a zeal for God, big G. If you go to Israel with us in March of 21, you're going to see several people, many people, especially in Jerusalem, not so much up north, but in Jerusalem area, walking around in black garb, different style hats. They have a zeal for God. They have a zeal for God. You being a Gentile, you being a woman, they will not talk with you. They will avoid, let me rephrase that. Most of them will avoid talking to you. Most of them will avoid you as a Gentile or as a woman because you will defile them. A Gentile will defile them. A woman will defile them. Same zeal. They have the same zeal. Big G or for a God, little g, but what? They lack the knowledge of Jesus being the Messiah or Christ. You see, without that knowledge, their zeal is dangerous and eternally useless. Hi, we're from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They have a zeal. They're out knocking on doors when it's 110 degrees. That's zeal. But they lack knowledge. Because Jesus is who? He's the spirit brother of Lucifer. I mean, is that, that's all you need to know about Mormonism. That shuts the door right there. Sorry. It's a different Jesus. We don't serve the same Jesus. Jehovah Witnesses, Michael the Archangel, reincarnated. Really? Have you read Hebrews chapter 1 and 2 lately? That's in your Bible. 
He didn't come as an angel. He's the son of God. Different Jesus. Sorry. End of conversation. You need to repent. You need to receive Jesus as your savior. Well, he was a great prophet, Islam says. Oh, he was a good teacher, Hindu. Everybody has an opinion about Jesus, guys. Everybody. If you're in this room and you're an atheist, you have an opinion about Jesus. He didn't exist and God doesn't exist. That's an opinion. But your opinion is going to determine where you're, where you're going to eternity. Either in heaven with Jesus, with God the Father, or away from God the Father for all of eternity in hell. God loves you. God sends no one to hell. We choose to go there because we lack knowledge. We won't acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. So why am I spending so much time on this man, Saul? Interesting facts here. Because the Lord used this fanatic to write 13, most likely 14, I personally believe he wrote Hebrews, of the 27 New Testament letters. That's 100 chapters, and originally, as you know, the letters didn't have chapters and verses. But if you just count them up now, that's 100 chapters out of the 160 total chapters of the New Testament. Or roughly 62% of the New Testament. So as we read his letters, it's good to know a little bit about his background or his upbringing. You see, as we press on with Acts, we are going to see a pious, self-righteous, religious man become a humble servant of the Most High God. So a couple of questions. Could that be an expression of what God has done in our lives? Won't ask for a show of hands, but did you think you were pious or self-righteous at one time in your life because you went to church every Sunday and maybe you said so many prayers and you did so many good deeds? Maybe you work next to somebody or you're in an environment where they think they're okay because they haven't killed anybody and they haven't stolen anything lately and haven't committed adultery and this and the other thing. You know, I'm not that bad a person. I'm not like that guy over there. Oh, okay. All right. So far in Acts, we've seen God use Peter, John, the other apostles, Stephen, and other deacons. God will soon bring Saul on board as well. In just a few short chapters in Acts, we are going to see God use the full spectrum. I'm sorry. In just a few short chapters in Acts, we are seeing God using a full spectrum of society for his kingdom. Why do I bring that up? You, I, we make up a full spectrum of society. I can't go into your school, your young people that are in school, or maybe you're part of homeschooling. Do all homeschoolers know Jesus as their Savior? Let me push that button for you. We homeschool our kids through eighth grade. They have to make a personal commitment. Nobody gets into heaven via their parents' faith. The faith has to become their faith. And the faith has to be real faith. It cannot be, well, I go to Calvary Chapel, so I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. Wrong answer. That's the wrong answer. It's because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's why I'm going to heaven. So could God use us? Absolutely. Would God like to use us? Absolutely. Could God save a pious, self-righteous, religious person of today? Absolutely, if we're available. Also in this opening verse, we see a bigger design of persecution. What happened in verse 1? And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. 
You see, this persecution caused the church to go where the Lord had asked them to go. What do I mean? Acts 8.1. How about if we switch it and do Acts 1.8? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Where are they witnessing? Jerusalem. But are they going outside Jerusalem? No. And in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth, which would be Queen Creek, basically. Have they, are they doing that? Oh, no, 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 no. We've got it nice and comfortable here. We've got it really sweet here. You see, the time frame of our text this morning is roughly five to six years after the resurrection. The church is very comfortable living out their newfound faith in Jerusalem. So without this persecution, they probably would have remained in that comfortable state for decades. But church history has shown us over and over again that God sometimes uses persecution to get his church to move out of their comfort zone of the faith and into a world that needs Jesus. Other times he allows job transfers or layoffs, illnesses or disasters. God is the God of all comfort, but he doesn't want us to become so comfortable that we forget why we're believers. Why are we believers? We're ambassadors for Christ. We are saved to proclaim the goodness of God so that others might become saved as well. For all of mankind will arrive at the same destination that Stephen found himself, death. Verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. You know, it's important to mourn over those who have passed from this life. Nothing wrong with that at all. But as believers, we don't mourn as those who have no hope. No, our hope is, in a living, is a living hope because Jesus rose from the grave, conquering death, and is setting believers free from the curse of the law. To be absent from this physical body is to take on our new spiritual body and immediately be with the Lord in heaven. Second Corinthians chapter 5. It doesn't get any better than that. And as for Saul, in verse 3, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, and dragging men and women, equal opportunity, dragging men and women, committing them to prison. We see this phrase made havoc of the church, which carries with it the idea of a wild animal going crazy over its prey. Saul went to very great lengths to persecute the church in order to prove his zeal for God. And we'll cover some more of those verses in Acts chapter 9. But for this morning... What can we learn from Saul at this point of his life? He had an anger issue. He needed some anger management classes. He needed some counseling. He needed a foam baseball bat to hit objects, releasing his bent-up anger. They're now starting to do that. No, he needed Jesus, who through the Holy Spirit will remove anger from his life. Do we see an anger issue happening in our culture today? Just real quick, as, as Matt comes up, anybody give me, don't yell all at once, because then it, I can, the, the speaker can never hear what you're saying. So if you, so give me an example of an anger issue today in our culture. Raise your hand and let me call on you. And then you say it real loud. Anybody have an example of an anger issue? Yes. Racism. Racism. Very good. Anybody else? Road rage, absolutely. Road rage. Just the political climate, who our president is, who our president should be. Religious extremism. Religious extremism. One last one. Uh, 
Anybody else? Antifa. Antifa. Guys, there's a lot of anger in our country. So for you and I, what can we take away from this? That God can change anybody. God can change anybody. So you and I as ambassadors for Christ need to be praying for people and not get caught up in the anger. Not get caught up in the politics, in the racism, in those things that we just mentioned, in being extreme, but taking people to the cross. You see, the Holy Spirit, through the meditation, memorization, and application of God's word, can heal anyone of their anger. Do you have an anger issue this morning? You don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. You might get you might be angry that I just asked that question. <laughs> I used to have one. Through memorization, meditation, and application of God's word, he removed that from my life. And he'll do that for you this morning. If you have an anger issue, admit it. First part of healing is admitting and then come up for prayer. We don't want a lot of details, but say, you know what? I need, I need prayer in that specific area. Great. That's all I need to know. Okay. Let's pray. If you want to share, you can share, but that's all we need to know. Cause you confess it. You're taking a statement before God. You're making a statement before God and you're making a statement before a fellow believer. I want prayer. And you might even take it to the next step this week as you pray and you might seek somebody out to, for accountability. And when you come back to church or if you know somebody here at the church, you call them out and you say, you know what? I was really convicted and I want accountability. I want you to hold me accountable. I want you to call me every week and ask me, who did you get mad at this week? Who did you blow up at this week? And you know, guys, that's what accountability is. If you know somebody's going to call you on Friday and it's Thursday and you want to blow up, you're not going to blow up because you know what's coming the next day. I don't want to admit I'm a Christian. I don't want to admit I just blew up yesterday. That's what accountability does. It holds us accountable. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. But we have to be humble enough to surrender to God and then to someone else to hold us accountable. Father, we thank you and praise you that you see us totally different at times than other people do. And I I thank you for that, Lord, because we don't even see ourselves in a good light often. But Lord, as we look through your word, we're holy and unblameable. We thank you for that, Father, and and we want to be more like Jesus. And so each and every day, Lord, may we take incremental steps. Incremental steps, just growing slowly but surely each and every day, becoming more like your son. That we might impact our culture, that that sphere of influence, those four, six, eight people in our lives, we're not going to change the culture per se, but we might win somebody to Jesus this week. So Lord, use us wherever we go. We pray that you'd use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, guys. If you need prayer for anything, please come forward. We would love to pray for you guys. God bless you. Have a great week. Wednesday night, what's Darrell teaching on Wednesday night? Darrell's doing a really good job, guys. Wednesday night was so much fun this past Wednesday night. Romans chapter 5, 6 through 21, one man. So I encourage you to read ahead, study ahead. Wednesday night, 6.30 p.m., Pastor Darrell will be sharing. Child care available. Come on out, guys. God bless you. Oh, one last thing. 
Um, the appreciation conference is this coming Friday and Saturday. And so if you've served, we need you to sign up today because I have to order food tomorrow. And we don't want to not have enough food. So go on today. If you've served in any capacity at the church here, this Friday night, we're having an appreciation conference as well as Saturday morning until 3. It's going to be a phenomenal time. Last year, I think we had about 160 people from five different churches. Um, we've got four different churches participating this year. So please sign up. There's no child care. Um, we don't want the servants serving. We want the servants in here. So get your own child care. But go on today and need to know today. You can go onto our website, sign up on our website. No cost. We just want to bless you guys. So have a great day, guys. God bless.